It's official. Let's start our class. Welcome to everybody who's here. Welcome to all of you online. We're studying John's Gospel. Thank you, Roy. Philip, would you mind getting that door for me? We're in chapters 13 and 14 this week. We might, we just might get this gospel covered before the end of the quarter, but it's coming up fast and we're, we, we might have to squeeze in an extra chapter here and there. So let's see if we can get this worksheet filled out today and then we can talk about what's in it. Chapter 13, 1 through 20, when John writes of Jesus, he blanked them to the end. Is he talking about a blank Jesus had or something he blanked? And the only blank you can positively know is the first one. The other two are me speculating. So it says of Jesus that he did something regarding his apostles to the end. What was that? He loved them. He loved them to the end. So let's uh, talk about what that might mean. Are we talking about a, and I would put a feeling, are we talking about a feeling that he had or something he did? He loved them to the end. First of all, is, is love simply a feeling? And you would have to know what word is there because there are different words in Greek for love. And sometimes those words are translated with the same English word. But this word's agape. Is agape a feeling? And the answer to that is no. Agape is not a feeling. Agape is a decision. And so when it says he loved them to the end, it's interesting what he's about to do. Do you know what he's about to do? Have you read this chapter? He's going to serve them in a very special way and in so doing teach them to serve one another. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, well, that that is showing love. He's continuing to teach them. What's he coming down to? Very shortly, he's going to be arrested and he's going to be crucified. That will be the end, so to speak. But right down to the end, he is showing them love. He's continuing to teach them and train them and look out for their needs because he knows he's about to leave and he wants to prepare them as best he can for his departure. So that's what I think this statement is all about. Any dissension on that? Any disagreement? Or are you all going to say, yep, Marty, you're really smart. You got that right. Well, you might not go that far. No, not that far. Okay, Robert says no. Not going to disagree with the first part, but on the other, that's pushing it. So, all right. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, blank, having eaten the Passover supper with them. And it's a time question. After he ate the Passover with them and then he washed their feet. What normally happens or what would have normally happened According to etiquette, guests come into your home, you have a servant wash their feet. 
That's the way it would normally happen. But they've been there, they've eaten the Passover, and now he's doing this. So he's not doing it as a practical thing we would think of regarding washing feet. People wore sandals, open-toed shoes, or sometimes I guess they even went barefooted and they got dirty. And so when they come into a home, there would be a servant to wash their feet. It was a practical thing. It was also hot, so it would make sense that some cool water would refresh you as you come into someone's home. And if you're Martha, you don't want those dirty feet tracking up your house. Dirt floor, well, maybe flagstones. They, they really had, it's an interesting thing you bring up because when you go over there and you see how they make things, there's a rock everywhere. And so they made a lot of floors out of rock and nice floors. And the, the artistry that they sometimes used is really awe-inspiring. Uh, it, these were not a backward people. They, they had done well. So those things being said, this is normally the job of a blank blank. And the second word would be servant. The first word would be menial. This was a job typically you gave the lowest servant in the house. A menial servant. And so the one who spoke the universe into existence has prepared himself with a towel and water and his washing feet. It was blank who resisted this service. Peter, you don't even have to read the text almost. But it's like, for everything we find in Peter like this, there's something else on the plus side, on the positive side. Peter's the guy, Jesus said, you're, you're the one going to start the kingdom on Pentecost. And then later he said, you're the one going to bring the Gentiles in. You're going to go talk to Cornelius and baptize the first Gentile. That's, that's who Peter was. That's what Jesus thought of Peter. And so here he is resisting, but Jesus has him for a reason as one of his apostles. It is, it is. You go out to eat and somebody says, oh, I'll get this. What do you say? Wow, thanks. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I was hoping you'd pay. <laughs> Normally we say, no, 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 I'll, I'll get this. And even if you can't afford it, you want to pay because, well, because why? Because we're proud. We, we don't want to take charity. What does Jesus say about that? He's available for lunch. <laughs> so he's taking us all out. I think that's what that means. <laughs> really, it's the fact that I'll pay for my own meal that you pay for it. And, you know, you've just got a kindness or, or love. It's nothing that I'm trying to hold over it at them, but it's something I want to do for you. Right, exactly. Want to do. You can tell when somebody wants to do something for you. And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to Receive, but what has to happen if there's going to be a giver? There has to be a receiver. I have humbled myself and I will be glad to be a receiver for anybody who wants to give something, unless it's advice. Got plenty of that. No, seriously, think about it. That's a great question because 
Usually the reason we resist something like that is because we, we have pride. We don't want somebody who we think is better than us doing something like that. Yes? I, I remember growing up, you know, I was taught, you need to do things for yourself. You okay. need to not rely on other people to do this for you. You need to do it yourself because yes. that's what a man does. That's right. Now, I wasn't taught what women were taught because I wasn't a woman, so I can't speak for that. But I know I was taught that a man doesn't let somebody do something for them because they should be doing it. Exactly. That, that's, that's the old way, the old school way of doing things. And so we, we have that in mind. We want to fulfill our obligation as, as a man, provider, whatever. And so we, we try to do those kinds of things. And it's, that's not a bad thing. It's just at some point when you see someone wants to do something for you or give you something, you relinquish it, especially if it happens to be God. Do never tell God, oh, you're mistaken, Lord, I, you shouldn't be giving this to me. What do you expect him to say? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, man, you're right. I'm, I am in error here. And, and Peter has done this before. When else did he do it? First time Jesus told him, I'm going to be arrested and crucified. Jesus said, this will never happen. And what did Jesus say to him at that point? He said, get behind me. Satan, you're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of men. So, wow. Peter is the guy that Jesus called Satan. Peter is also the guy who walked on water. Think about that. Don't just get stuck in the rut of looking at your own failures. Because that's what the devil wants you to do. Look at the ways you've succeeded. Look at what you've done right. Look at what you've accomplished. Look at the people who show you respect if they are people that you consider upright and righteous. And sometimes look at your enemies. Look at the people who hate you and what kind of people they are. And there are people who hate you. Sad to say, but sometimes it'll tell you more about yourself than your friends can tell you. And that's a good thing. It was Peter who resisted this service, but Jesus told him, if he did not wash him, he had blank, blank with him. No part. Peter, you have to let me wash you, or else you have no part with me. What question did Jesus ask when he had finished washing their feet? It's right there in the text. I should have put a verse reference down. Well, first I ought to go to John chapter 13. What question did he ask? Do you know what I have done? Now, what, what would you think would be the obvious answer to that? Yeah, you washed your feet. There's more to it. There's always more to it. And what's the whole point of it? There you go. That's right. And who are you going to see in that position if you are a disciple but you are master? And this is the master 
exampling, showing this is uh, an object lesson on what service is really all about. That basically the emphasis is on to serve others. Yes. Because there are people that specifically, when they come together, they wash each other's feet. And so I'm saying it didn't right. really mean specifically to do that. That was their custom. What he, the whole point was is we're to serve whatever their need is. Right. Exactly. Right. Their feet because they were dirty back then because they were walking through dust and sandals. And it served a point. It served a purpose. Today. And I, I'm not knocking, <clears throat> if anybody wants to do this in a, in a Bible class or in a situation to make a point, I, I agree with that. But typically, you invite somebody over to your house, do you wash their feet when they come in the door? Mm. That, would, that would be kind of strange, wouldn't it? So we, we don't do that because it goes back to the practical aspect of it. What do they really need when they come in the door? Well, right now, they might need to be offered a cool drink. A place to sit down. Come on in here, sit down. Let's have a let's talk. What what have you been up to? Be interested in their lives. That's the kind of service when you're showing hospitality somebody might need. You're going down the road and you see a car by the road with trouble. There are a number of things you can do if you're a lady. I do not recommend you stop. Unless you come out like this. What can I do for you? No, I don't recommend you stop. You can call somebody. You can call the police. Say, hey, there's a guy who needs help over here. If if you see the situation looks like you would be safe to stop and help, you can stop and help. There are various things you can do. You're, you're in different situations all the time when you see an opportunity for you to make a difference. And that's what Jesus is saying. Serve one another. Serve one another. Help. Yes. May even pass to take your family home and go back, which I have in the past. Mm-hmm. And yet somebody else is already helping or whatever. But the intent was there an example that I wanted to go back and help the person. And here's Christ saying, I'm an example for you to do this. Because I've done this to you, you do it to others. Whether it's washing their feet or caring for their need or healing their wounds, right. or taking them to get that treatment or feeding them. It's still an example. And I've found that even if people don't really need help, because in these days people will pull over to make a phone call, you'll stop and ask and they will say, oh, well, thank you for stopping. They, they appreciate that gesture. And especially on the interstate, if, if I, because you've got to get down to an exit ramp, and you, and you get to the exit ramp and you turn around, you've got to go down to another exit ramp where you get back on so you can come back to that person. And by the time I get there, without fail, I don't know if it's ever happened that I've ever done that, and it wasn't already somebody there helping. Why? This is Oklahoma. And that's the way it is in Oklahoma. So, Bob? It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> no, no. It, it was, was profound. profound. It was profound. Now it belongs to the ages. <laughs> if you think of it, all are fast. What question did Jesus ask? He asked them, do you know what I've done for you? His answer was, that he had set them an example of how they were to serve one another. And as Don pointed out, not specifically washing feet, but service, whatever service somebody needs. When you get to Matthew 25 and Jesus has 
the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. He didn't say you're here because you washed each other's feet. He said you're here because you saw somebody who was hungry and what happened? You fed him. You saw somebody who was thirsty and you gave him a drink. And Bob's remembered what it was. So hurry. Tying it back together with Wednesday night, stopping and helping is building bridges. There you go. You're building a bridge. And as God has always built bridges, we should build bridges. And this is the way to do it. Uh, Why would this particular teaching be important at this point? He was about to leave. And what do these guys normally talk about, even when they don't want, especially when they don't want him to hear what they're talking about? Who's the greatest? Who's first? Who's the most important apostle? And Jesus says, that's the way it is among the Gentiles. It's not going to be like that among you guys. And it's almost like I can just see Jesus going, oh, man, I'm not going to be here after the next day or two. What am I going to do with these guys? I don't think he ever did that because he's God. (laughs) Me in that situation, that's what I would be thinking about and worrying about. But he's God. And then the latter part of that, he said that if they knew these things, they would be blanked if they did them. And the answer, the fill in there is blessed. If you know this thing, if you know to serve, you're blessed if you'll do it. And our our worldly thinking tells us, I'm not going to lower myself to that. That's going to make me lower in their estimation and in my own and Jesus says no that's not the way of faith the way of faith is you know these things and you do them you lower yourself you humble yourself and it'll be a blessing to you if you do these things you'll be happy all right have we ever thought about being happy or washing somebody's foot no we don't you know well on the other hand I've had a lot of people do something for me, and I said, well, thank you. And it was happy to do it. Happy to do it. And and we are. Doesn't it feel good when you have an opportunity to do something for someone, and you know it's something that they really need and appreciate, and that's a big part of it too, people appreciating things. But even if they don't appreciate that, who does appreciate it? God, when you do it in his name, it's like, look at my boy down there. Look at my little girl. They're doing what I taught them to do, and they're not even getting any gratitude from that goofball they're doing it for. I'm so proud of them. That's, that's the way God sees it. Everything in the scriptures tells us that. It shows us that. He blesses us when we live by faith, even when the world is trying to get us to do otherwise. Looking at the yard after I mowed it and everything, I thought, nobody even said thanks for mowing the yard. Yeah. So I invented Juan. Juan, the yard man, he's going to be praised for more. Boy, Juan's doing a good job. <laughs> 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 but Jenny did appreciate me having Juan the yard man. Did Juan have an assistant named Amal? Okay. So if you've seen Juan, maybe you've seen Amal. I don't know. <laughs> Robert's over here thinking about that. <laughs> I was just going to say, which one? <laughs> oh. 
We better move on. He quoted, Jesus quoted Psalm 41.9, so they would blank he was the Messiah when that, what the psalm prophesied happened. Believe. They would believe. Now hold on. These are his apostles. I thought they already believed. Why would, why would John write this? body of evidence and it's continually being accumulated just like when you go to court and uh, you've got exhibit A, exhibit B exhibit C Oh, what if you had 5,000 exhibits that were all evidence for the case you were trying to make and this is what we find in Jesus when you get to the end of John's gospel do you remember what he says Many other things Jesus did that are not written in the volume of this book. But these things are written, why? So that you might believe. That's chapter 20. And then we get to the end of chapter 21. And he says, if everything was written, the world would not contain the books that would have to be written. Think about that. The evidence that stacks up for the identity of Jesus... And not just for his identity, but his character. And not just his identity and his character. But what he says he wants to do for us. When we get to chapter 14, he's going to say, I'm going to my father, and in my father's house are many mansions, dwelling places. And I'm going to prepare, what? A place for you. What's that? I I know, it's on there. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm cheating, right. (laughs) You're not supposed to learn it now. You're supposed to wait and learn it later. Kind of feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? All right, chapter uh, 13, verses 21 to 38. Verses 21 to 30 make it clear that blank was among them when all this happened. Talking about everything previous. Who was there? Judas. Judas was there. He hadn't left at the beginning, and, and so Jesus washed his feet as well. Jesus taught him the lesson about service. Judas was there. This is also the first time John mentions the disciple whom blank, blank, Jesus loved. There was a disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus told Judas to do blank what he was about to do quickly. Now think about that. No word of warning. No no coercion, Judas. Don't you do this. Jesus says, what you're about to do, do it quickly. No discouragement. This was going to happen. Judas was going to do it. Judas had set his mind to it. Jesus knew that. This was part of the plan. And Judas was a willing part of the plan. How does all this work out? I'm not exactly sure. But I know Judas was not forced to do what he did. It's just like Pharaoh. Pharaoh was not forced to resist Moses. But he did. 
and God knew he would, and God used that. The others had blank, blank what he meant by the statement. No idea. They were clueless. They had no idea what Jesus meant by that statement, which implies they heard him. They heard him tell Jesus what you're about to do. Do it quickly. You think afterwards, these guys sat around, you know, didn't he say something? That you, yeah, he said, what you're about to do. Do you think he knew? It's like, <laughs> duh. How many times has he told them up to this point what's going to happen? But Jesus keeps repeating this same idea. I'm telling you now, so when it happens later, you will believe. That's what this is all about, believe. To those who remained after Judas left, Jesus gave them a blank blank, which was for them to blank each other. He said, something I give you is... New, a new command I give you, which was for them to love each other. Just as blank, blank, just as he did. To me, that's what makes it new. Was the command to love new? No, that's old. They were taught to love each other in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. When Jesus talked about the greatest commandments, he quoted from the Old Covenant. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's old. But Jesus said it was new because now you've seen how I do it. And so I'm giving you this command all over again to do it as I have loved you. That's a tall order. What claim does Peter make here? And how does Jesus answer him? What does Peter say he will do? He'll die, he'll die with him, die for him. And I believe he was telling the truth at this point. And why? Why would I believe that? What did Peter do in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus? He pulled out his sword, he got into the fight, and Jesus said, put your sword away. And this is the way it works with me too. Probably not you. But I'm good with God as long as he's going along with what I think is his good plan. But when God starts up with some plan I'm not ready for, it's like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Well, yeah, you did. When you put your faith in me, Jesus would say, you signed up for me to be your Lord. And that's what happened in the garden. Peter was willing to die until he found out Wait a minute, this isn't going down. I don't want to not fight. If I can't fight, well, it's like it threw him off. But it didn't throw him off for long. Where was he at Pentecost? He was up in front of everybody telling about the resurrection. He didn't care what was going to happen to him. (laughs) Thrown in prison later, persecuted, it didn't matter. He's going to keep telling people about the resurrection, about his Lord what he'd said and what he'd done. How did Jesus answer Peter when Peter said he would die with him? Yeah. Before you hear that rooster crow, 
You'll deny me three times. Three times. Man. Chapter 14, 1 through 15. Knowing that chapter divisions are not blank to the text, what would you put there? Inherent, original. I would put the word original. In other words, when, when John wrote this gospel, he didn't divide it up into chapters and verses. That was done much later. I'm thankful that it was done. It makes it much easier to study and research and find a text. But the, the original writers did not put chapters and verses in. I just wanted to make you aware. So that means when you see a chapter division, somebody has decided this is where we're going to put the division. And sometimes I see those divisions and I think, no, that's, that's not the best place. So knowing that chapter divisions are not original to the text, what do Jesus should be a little possessive mark there on, on, with Jesus. What did Jesus' first words here have to do with his last ones in chapter 13? What are his first words in chapter 14? Yeah, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, wait a minute. What does that got to do with chapter 13? Yeah. Three times. He, he says, says oh, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, no, you, that's not the way it's going to work. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But don't let your heart be troubled. As if Jesus was saying, and I think he was saying, when you do that, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you because in my father's house are many mansions. So he's saying, look past all this stuff, Peter. Look past what you're about to do. You haven't even done it yet. You're going to regret that so much. Don't you know Peter regretted that for the rest of his life? Denying his Lord, chickening out, turning tail. In the courtyard. That's right. right. Where were the rest of them? I'm so glad God wrote all this stuff about Peter because I, I see him and I see David. I see all the things that David did that were just godless. And I think, wait a minute, that's, that's a man after God's own heart? Well, yeah. Once he was confronted with his sin, he came back. Once Peter was confronted with what he did that was wrong, he came back. It's always about coming back, putting your faith in God. And sometimes it's like that even in a marriage. You have a big fight, falling out. You think, arr, 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 arr. That's why I tell young couples, premarital counseling, don't just commit yourself to that person. Commit yourself to the marriage. Because there's going to be times you're going to want to strangle that person. But if you're committed to the marriage, you'll hold off, and you'll cool down, and you'll work things out, and it'll be okay, and you'll look back and you'll laugh. I was, what, what were we even fighting about? So in life, give yourself a little grace. God gives you plenty of grace. Give yourself some grace. Peter needed to give himself some grace, and that's what Jesus is saying. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but listen, don't let your heart be troubled. Be of good cheer. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm, I'm bringing you in. You're one of my homies, as we would say today. Well, maybe not us, but some people would say that today because that's, that's the word for somebody you want to be with. 
And Jesus is saying, that's what I want of you. You're going to deny me three times. I don't care. I still want you to be with me. Think about what this means. Think about Jesus going into all of the, the crucifixion, and he knows what Peter's going to do. And the other guys, he's arrested in the garden, and they all flee. So... Well, actually, I believe when Jesus says that, he's talking about the rock of his identity. He, he is the Christ, and that's the rock on which the church will be built. Now, Jesus said later, well, Paul wrote in Ephesians, that the foundation was Jesus, the chief cornerstone, and that the apostles and prophets and their words are part of that foundation. But, but the foundation... Is, is what we have to stand on. It's basically telling you, Peter, I know the paths that I have for you to take. Mm-hmm. And you will take them. And we see that he does take them, but God, they are on uh, preaching at Pentecost and things like that. And everything else is good. So God knows the path we're going to take, even though it may look like it's a hard time now. I've turned my back on you, but I still love you, I still care for you, and I know you will stand up for me. Exactly. And he does. And probably none of the rest of you ever do this, but I do this sometimes. I, I do a little introspection, and I wonder, how can I even be saved? The things I think about, the things I do, the things I say, how can I be somebody who's going to be in heaven with God? I'm a wretch. But I haven't... That lets you count on Christ crucified and not on your own works, which is dangerous. Exactly. It's dangerous to count on yourself. If you're not looking at your own sins and realizing when you're falling short, it's like Romans 7, continually struggling. And if you're not looking at that, when you look at that enough, sometimes you think, man, how can I be saved? Well, because Christ died. And then you cry out. You're constantly calling on him saying, I need your mercy. That's what it's all about. I need you. I'm counting on you. I'm trusting yes, in your promises because I'm talking to you about it. I'm, I'm, that's not a work, what I'm saying. I'm just saying you're, you're conversing. You're introspecting. And boy, the more you see Christ, the more you see his statutes and see who he is, the worse you seem to get. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wow, worse than I was. You remember that story Jesus told about the debtor? He, he owed a debt he could never repay, and he was forgiven that debt. And what does that guy do? He goes out and finds somebody who owes him a tiny little debt, and he throws him in prison. And so when the one who had forgiven him finds out about it, he, um, this ain't going to happen. Mm-mm. You come on back here now. And what did Jesus teach in the, in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer? The, what we call the, the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. I'd rather call it the model prayer because he was modeling what prayer. That's what they asked. The only thing he makes any commentary on is, is when he puts in the prayer about forgiveness. What do you say about forgiveness? Forgive us as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And then he made commentary about that. That's the only thing in that whole prayer he made any commentary. Well, I say whole prayer. It's a very brief prayer. You look at it. You can say it in less than 30 seconds. You don't even have to hurry. But he said, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. So the reason we forgive people is so we'll be forgiven. 
And don't, don't worry, but don't get this idea in your head, well, if I forgive them, they won't get what's coming to them. No, that's God's. What does God say about that? Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And just because you ask God to forgive doesn't mean he's going to. He's going to take care of it in the best way possible. And you don't have to concern yourself with that. Give it to him. And then, see, it doesn't hold them accountable if you don't forgive them. It holds you accountable. It doesn't set them free if you forgive them. It sets you free. So, uh, as a young man, I struggled with guilt a lot. And so, uh, in going through uh, seeing a therapist and stuff when I was very younger, uh, they really, really talked to me about my faith. And so, something that helps me as a logical brain person that I just I see things very linear in that way right. is a few things. One is that. If I believe one thing of the Bible, I believe all things of the Bible. So faith, you have faith in one thing, you have faith in all things that it says. And so getting, getting hung up on, on guilt, right. if I believe that Jesus came to die for my sins, and the guilt is what's tripping me up right now, then I, I can't not believe, or I can't believe if Jesus died for my sins if I have guilt for those sins. Exactly. Not saying that I can't feel guilty and be repentant because those are things I also believe and I have to do those things. Right. So that was the first thing. And then when I, whenever I hit that wall of, but I can't forgive myself, that question was posed to me, which I don't, I don't know if the counselor was religious at all, but it, it's really always helped me reconcile. I go back to this, this is in my early 20s. Uh, it really helped me reconcile some things. Is, uh, is my... Am I more powerful than God? No. And I, but I believe in God, because I believe that he's more powerful than me. Right. So, if I believe that God will forgive me, why can't I forgive myself? And so that so that's always helped me in life, that when I start getting stuck in the rut, and I keep talking about it, it's just, you get in this cycle of like self-doubt, and, and, and anger at yourself, and I'm not worthy, which, it's fine to believe that you're not worthy. It's always, it, what you said, it's just this drive, continually working towards a goal, it, it's always helped me out to, to just rationalize it that way, that if I'm putting even a small faith into God to deliver me, then I, it's got to be, it's all or nothing. Right. And you, you keep, keep coming, coming back. back. You say, yeah. I, what you said about worthiness, we're not worthy. That's the whole point. If we were worthy, Jesus would have come and said, now for you guys that don't need this, don't, don't worry about it, but I'm going to die for the sinful people. And go, oh, okay. Well, that's not me. I'm not, oh, yes, it is you. <laughs> You're not worthy. You've never been worthy. You can't be worthy. But what is it about us? It comes back to that pride idea. I, I should be able to be worthy. No. Shut up. You can't. Stop thinking like that. It, it's like Jesus is saying, you're going to do all these things, but I'm telling you, don't let your heart be troubled. But Jesus, I feel better if I let my heart be troubled. It, isn't that the crazy way we think, though? If I'll take on the guilt, I'll feel better. It's, it's so relieving to have guilt because I know I'm, I'm facing what's wrong. No, shut up. You're an idiot. You need to have faith. Okay. Well, doesn't that feel kind of arrogant to say, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to face my sins. I'm righteous. 
But it's the truth. It's the truth. Just remember you're not righteous because you're righteous. You're righteous because he's put his righteousness on you. And that's what he wants you to have. Don't? A lot of things I, I trust in his promises. And you know, that's a confession of sin and talking to God, being completely open and honest. I love the tax collector. Be merciful to me, a sinner, when you read that, that, that thing. But there's one that's not a promise, but it's a command to us. And you mentioned it, and I want to bring that up. It says, if you forgive others, you, you know, he won't forgive you if you don't forgive others. You think, wow. And it says from the heart. It doesn't talk about, you know, what you do. It talks about from the heart. I think, wow, I fall short of that too. You know, it's like I still fall. And so what I like about it is it says, when he says, I want you to go forgive 70 times 7. I don't, we know that, that doesn't mean whatever that equals. That 490. Whatever, okay. You already figured that out. That yeah. we can stop at 490. It doesn't mean that. It means that's continually. Well, if that's what he So if that's what he told me to do, yeah. who is he? Then right. he must be doing it too. Can he, he, would he be a hypocrite if he didn't? Absolutely. So I have complete confidence and trust me totally when I'm sitting there. I know you're getting sick of me telling you this. <laughs> Here it is again. I'll survive it. <laughs> He'll survive it. In 1 John, see if I can find it. Because we're, we're looking at John's gospel, but John comes back and he says this. I'm looking for the passage that talks about if our heart condemn us. Where is it here? Oh, here it is, chapter 3. See, when I turned to it, I I said to myself, I think it's 320 in my mind. And then I'm looking everywhere but 320, and I look at 320. There it is. This is the same apostle writing this letter, chapter 3, starting at verse 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We'll know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And I think I finally figured out, it just kind of hit me, what it means when it says God is greater than our heart. What does he talk about our heart doing in this text? He talks about our heart condemning us. And then he says God is greater than our heart. What he's saying is, who do you think you are to judge yourself? You're not the judge. I am. And I don't condemn you. Oh, God. (laughs) What could you read in the Bible that would be better than that? Because we do condemn ourselves. We know we're worthy of condemnation. We are sinners and the wages of sin is death. And that's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. And so we have this sense of unworthiness for a good reason. We are not worthy. Jesus said, when you call in your servant and you tell him to do this and do that and he does it all, even when you've done everything you're commanded to do, what are you? An unprofitable servant. Sometimes I think about my work and I think, what am I doing for God? And then I realize if I expended every ounce of energy I had, I would still not be doing anything that I shouldn't be doing. So relax a little bit. 
Bob? Consciences that are seared, and those are the ones that are not going to feel the unworthiness. So if, if you are feeling unworthy, you know, rejoice because your conscience isn't yet seared to the point where you don't feel that way. Jesus had asked a question earlier in John's Gospel. This, this very thing. It was a Sabbath, and there was a guy there with a withered hand. And what did Jesus do? He said, put your hand out. And he put his hand out. What happened? They became whole. Why were none of those people jumping up and saying, Wow, that's fantastic. Your arm's not withered anymore. I'm so happy for you. This is great. Thank you, Jesus, for doing for this guy that I care about something that none of us could ever ever imagine being done. Who said that? Nobody. What did they say? You did that on the Sabbath. What did he even do on that? He said, put your hand out. And he put his hand out and it was made whole. So when Jesus says, put your faith in me, Okay, what happens to us? We're made whole. Do you think that guy with the withered hand ever thought, and I don't deserve this? I don't know, pure speculation, but that's the way we think. And, uh, well, we didn't get through this, did we? Oh, well, there's always next week. Until we don't have next week, until the Lord comes back, until I die. Talking about what's on our hearts when we get to it. So if we don't finish, it's not like, oh, we're going to fail. Yeah, we failed. I failed. I didn't leave you all the way. Thanks for that. <laughs> I appreciate you guys so much. Lord bless you.